Hello and welcome to our podcast channel, What Matters? Conversations Exploring Psychosynthesis in the World. This is Susan Jukes-Allen, founder of Synthesis Center San Francisco. Join us, along with our hosts, Craig Behenna and Christina Gustafson, in conversation with psychosynthesis practitioners in the fields of coaching, health and healing, business, spirituality, education, and the arts. Conversations to inform, inspire, and ignite your call of self. Okay. Hi, Karen. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Craig. It's great to be here. I'm excited. Excellent. I wonder if you could, we could start, I like to start by asking people about their life background, because I think it's very interesting to see how people come to transpersonal psychology and psychosynthesis in particular, and what influences uh, internal and external bring them to that world. So I wonder if we can start, I'll start with an easy one. <laughs> yeah, um, I could do the whole podcast on that. Probably, I know, right? You, know? you probably could, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm particularly interested because I, I did a commerce and economics degree. So I, like you, am a recovering accountant. Uh, and, oh, uh, are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I lasted much less time than you did. But uh, I wonder if you could talk about your, your background sure. and your professional background and how that formed you and how you started to make a change. Yeah, you bet. Um, so I, as, as Craig just had said, I spent decades, I'm not even going to say how many decades in the <laughs> business world, um, as a CPA and as a controller in business. And then finally, I was a um, CFO and on executive management team when I left the business world and went back to school. Um, and I went back to school at Sophia University, which is formerly the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology and got my master's in transpersonal psychology and took my first psychosynthesis class there, um, which was great, which was really interesting because I am now teaching that course occasionally at Sophia. So it's kind of gone, you know, full circle. Um, and when I finished there, I started trying to build my own practice, but something just was not clicking for me. And a few people from my cohort at, at Sophia were trying to put together a group to work with Didi Furman on um, doing coach training. And so I jumped into that and I have just, I mean, Didi is such an amazing teacher and it was just a really great um, just connection for me. For some reason, her teaching style and mine and Mostly it's the laughter <laughs> that she brings yeah. to it, you know, it, that, that works for me. And so I was able to learn so much for her from her. And then we have continued to work together in different ways. And I have taught psychosynthesis coaching alongside her. And, and now I'm working um, with the synthesis center, San Francisco and their, um, in their uh, coaching practice group and helping um, with supervision and helping interns to develop their practice. So how did I make that move from business mm. to transpersonal psychology? And I would say that um, it, it really was part of a transformational process that started when my youngest daughter left the home and maybe even a few years before that when in one summer in one unbelievable summer my oldest daughter got married my middle daughter graduated from high school and left for college and my youngest daughter started driving which meant that <laughs> she was off and gone and all of a sudden i'm like what the heck you know what happens now and that was a huge grieving process for me um, because i'm very much loved and and was committed and devoted to my job as parent as mother and it was this time of if if i'm not that who am i and right. and many of us run into that in in middle life mm. and what ended up again coming full circle is that through my work at 
Sophia, my um, focus on research in the second year of my master's was about life transitions and how they are an invitation. They are very powerful. They're, they're super powerful. And they're an invitation to, um, first off, to honor and grieve what has gone before, what we're letting go of, and then to intentionally create this next stage in life. And so I um, ended up focusing on that in my education and then starting my coaching practice, focusing on helping people who are in those significant life uh, events, those transitions, and answering that invitation with a yes, I, I want to step into this and define purpose, meaning, and value and, and right. then create you know, something that supports that for me. Mm. Fantastic. Uh, I was going to make some notes and I dropped my pen. So excuse me, I drop out of frame. Uh, but I want to tell you, I want to actually talk a little more about um, your transition, mm-hmm. particularly because um, full disclosure, we've had a conversation around this world before. And one of the things that you talked about at that time was the importance of uh, your becoming a yoga instructor. Yes. Yeah. And I wonder if you yeah. could talk a little bit about that, because again, coming from the very head-based world of accountancy yes. to make, um, to let go of that way of thinking and being. And I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about uh, the importance that you found in yoga and sure. what, what that brought together for you. Well, the first thing that was really funny was how I even ended up in a yoga class. So I, I had um, a night per week and I didn't have a good exercise regimen. I've always <laughs> been very physically active. And so I went to the parks and rec, you know, little folder. <laughs> and and there, were, I, there were two things I was interested in. One was martial arts and one was yoga, but yoga <laughs> was on the right night. So that's how I ended up there. <laughs> and and you know I think so often those synchronistic experiences are are the ones that you know define our lives for us because you know uh, martial arts could have been a great way for me to go I don't know yeah. but I know that yoga absolutely was and that it was life changing for me and I think the reason for that is that this started during this transition period with my daughters when I was asking if I'm not that, then what am I? Mm -hmm. And what that does is that once we take one step out of the box of how we've defined ourselves, we start to take a step out on everything else. So all of these messages that I was hearing in yoga that were very different ways of thinking and viewing the world and viewing ourselves, Mm -hmm. viewing ourselves as spiritual beings, very, very different. But I was cracked open at that point so that I could actually listen to them and to hear them and to start to discern if there was truth in that for me. Right. So it sounds like that's, there's a big evaluation process there. Yes. From what you're saying, because that's a really interesting way of putting it. If you take, if you get kind of cracked open to take a step in one area, you then begin to have a change of perspective in all areas. That's a really interesting way of seeing it. So how did you work with that evaluation? Because that's a lot to come up. Yeah, but I look at it as like our ideal model, right? Mm -hmm. So so we had, I had an old ideal model of this is, you know, I was the accountant. I was very, (laughs) when Mm. I first started, I used to wear the little bow ties, you know, and the suit and everything. Oh, (laughs) really? I was definitely the, the accountant. Yeah. Okay, so now you're getting close to how many decades that's been. Anyway, <laughs> anyway um, so you, you know, when, when that ideal model is taken away from you, so I defined myself mm. primarily as mother, it's like, okay, if those things are not true, if there's one thing that's not true, and I thought it would always be true, how many other places am I, am I wrong in, you know? Right. And, and it is very much a process. So it's not like this happens one day. This happens mm. over a period of time. So transformation 
is not a one day thing. It, it probably can be. I'm sure that there are stories of that happening for people. In my experience and in the experience of my clients, it is a process that happens over time. Um, and it is a process of asking questions, just like we as coaches do. So our job as a coach is to ask powerful questions to help people to start to discern those answers for themselves, not based on what society has told them, but for discerning the answer for themselves. Right. And you're talking to a couple of things that you just said, you're talking to about these different versions of ideal models about how we are. Mm -hmm. The models you were talking about before, just then we're talking about the business professional, the mother, you define very much in terms of these roles, these external actions in the world. But then what you're talking about is coming to a different ideal model, which is more about an internal journey. Yes. Would you say that that was, yeah. that's accurate? I'd say that's a, a great way to say that. Um, and that, you know, often as working professionals and parents with many, many commitments, and as you know, I also was a crazy volleyball coach running a volleyball club. We'll get to that in a little yeah, bit. Yeah, we might get to that. Yes. Yeah, we might get to that. <laughs> um, you know, there I didn't have time for any introspection. You know, that right. was just, that was, there was just truly no time because I'd right. get home and hit the bed. That'd be it mm -hmm. and get up and do it all over again. Um, and so that, you know, when we're talking about transition and the fact that our whole world is in transition right now. Mm. And one of the things that happened is that as we were quarantined, people had more time. And mm. all of a sudden, there was time for introspection because we couldn't just keep busy, busy, busy all the time and avoiding all of those harder subjects and those things that we don't really like to think about as much. Right. It, it's very much that time of being with yourself, asking questions, and then listening. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's a couple of different ways we could go here. We could talk about transition, and I also want to. I also like to ask what transpersonal uh, coaching and psychology means for you and what psychosynthesis yeah. means for you. Maybe those two are, in, are interrelated for you because that's very much what the practice is. But yeah. um, maybe let's talk about uh, your work in, in transition then because that's, that became something that was a big focus for you and that, and that was mm -hmm. something that you decided to share more widely. Can you talk about... Um, something that you've that you talk about that you've written uh about and that also features on your the work that you do via your website the difference between the wise transition and the unwise transition yeah and how those play out yeah um and wise transition honestly was the name of my um, coaching business when i first started mm -hmm. because i i believe that a wise transition is an intentional transition, which means right. that we are intentionally, first off, feeling the grief and the loss of what we have lost. Mm -hmm. And there is not a lot of support or room in our culture for feeling grief. And especially if it's something other than death, it's mm. the message that we get is, Hey, aren't you done with this now? It's time to move on, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and so the for in order to create space for something new, we have to grieve and let go of what is gone. Mm. And so the first the first thing that I'm often working with my clients and with is how do you have how do you create space for that in your life? What are the practices that are going to support you in doing that, in listening to that and in allowing that? Um, and one of the things that often happens in what I call the second stage of, of transition is that 
because we don't know who we are now, you know, because that ideal model thing is, is gone. Um, we don't know who we are. We don't know how to define ourselves. And so um, some, it's like if you go to a, a cocktail party and somebody comes up and goes, hi, I'm, I'm Sally and I do this and I do that and I'm doing this. And, and you're like, I'm Susan and I don't know. <laughs> you know? Right. It's such an uncomfortable place to be. Mm. And the way that you get past that is to spend time with yourself and to allow space for those feelings to have for rest. I mean, rest is a huge thing after you've had a huge transition and this was all over social media. Like, I don't get why I'm so tired. I'm not doing anything. And that's because Absolutely. Yeah. we were all so tired and trying to deal with all of the changes, trying to find something that, that we could, you know, kind of grasp onto that felt familiar and there wasn't anything. Yeah. And that's what happens in transition is that you're exhausted. So rest is really important. Time alone is really important. Self-care is really important and, and listening, allowing listening. And then what starts to happen after that is that, um, eventually creative energy starts to bubble up again and mm. there's new ideas that start to surface and we've seen that through this you know corporate transition that we've gone through and how creative we have had to be in order to figure mm. out new ways of doing just you know so many different things um and and then we move from that into manifesting you know what is it that you have defined as your purpose and what's going to give you meaning and value and how do we make that happen and so mm -hmm. for me that is a wise transition and i think an unwise transition is when we get stuck in that that second stage and we don't take that time and without doing that grieving and letting go and creating space we cannot create a new life that truly has purpose, meaning, and value. Right, right. And you wrote about that. I, I just grabbed this off your website just yesterday, actually, talking about change as being the outer event, but transition being the inner, the mental or emotional response yes. to the event, and that being the fundamental part of your response to change. Yeah. Which yeah. actually kind of brings us to um, that question I was going to ask about what how you view the transpersonal and how that works for you personally and working as a coach and with clients and how, um, how you work. Particularly, I made a note of how does the focus on the client and yourself being fundamentally well okay. and having those answers inside of them already yes. help you when you're working with clients. And also I wonder, just because we've mentioned it a couple of times now, if you could maybe talk about that in relation to the ideal model, particularly for people who might be new to the world of psychosynthesis, mm -hmm. what the ideal model actually means for you in practice and how we, how we use that in terms of a coaching, a coaching relationship perhaps. Sure. Um, what was the first? Oh, transpersonal psychology. Yeah, what transpersonal? That was a three-step question. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll just start you off with the essay, and you can just. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have. Please, no I, concern. I, I have to say that it has been a journey for me to figure out how to explain transpersonal psychology to someone who has no understanding of it at all. Yeah, right? that's why like, I ask. Because it's a good question. Yeah, yeah. Right? it's a very good question. And I have recently, I have kind of settled on it as I see it as the psychology of connection and interconnection. So we talk about in, in um, transpersonal psychology, you know, there's a lot about eco-spirituality and eco-psychology and different spiritual trans, uh, traditions and all of the ways that we connect with each other through all of these practices, but not only with other people, but with other beings and with the earth. And, and that begins to 
change us in that we start to see how our choices and our actions interrelate with everything else. And so we become, again, more intentional about the choices we make because we understand that it is about more than ourselves. So I, I mean, in, in a nutshell, that's what it is. I believe it's also a philosophy. It's a life mm. philosophy. So if you were to, um, if I were to try to explain it to somebody who had absolutely no understanding, I would say, you know, you go to school for this and you come out and there's no career <laughs> for what you do with it, <laughs> you know? It's actually what I teach in, at uh, Sophia University, but um, it's not like you have a job waiting for you. It mm -hmm. infuses everything that you do. So every way that I interact with someone or something else is infused by the belief system that became part of me through my understanding and learning about transpersonal psychology. Okay. So when I'm coaching, absolutely that is a part of it because for, you know, for the first part, there is a, a underlying base respect for everyone where they are in their journey, in their life mm -hmm. journey. It, they are no place else than where they're supposed to be and where they're supposed to be is absolutely perfect at this point in time. And as you said, um, and as we have been taught in our coaching training and psychosynthesis coaching, we have this very strong belief that our clients have the answers inside of them that, that we all do unless we have some sort of, um, of disease, of, of um, ill health in our mental processing. Um, and because those answers are there, my job is to accept you as you are and to accept that your answers are right for you and that they may not be right for me and that's okay. The mm -hmm. job of the coach is to help the client to hear those answers that are right for them. Right. And what was the third question? <laughs> oh, well, I oh, ideal model. Yeah, you've kind of yeah. led straight into that though, because yeah. that leads to the client discovering what their ideal model is, both in terms yeah. of how they want to relate to themselves and how they see the world. And that's actually a really straightforward way of looking at what is an ideal model. It's the ideal model of how you want to be who you want to become as a result of discovering those answers. Yeah. Yeah. And, and understanding also that, um, you know, somebody's purpose and what gives them value and meaning very well might not be mine. And mm. that my job is to keep judgment out of it. It, it is truly about supporting them in that process of discernment and in that process mm. of manifesting. Right, yeah. And that, that brings us again back to evaluation and discernment rather than judgment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's a very important part of a relationship between, well, with yourself as well, in fact. And that can be, <laughs> you know, that can be difficult enough, but also yeah. that can be a really important part of what a coach and a coaching relationship can bring is that somebody right. outside of you who will do the non-judging for you. And maybe be you know, is there anyone who has not, you know, that you've coached that, that ha hasn't found out that they have a subpersonality named the judge? Oh, no. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> we all have the judge. <laughs> Loud and clear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I do really want to talk about volleyball because that's going to be a fun conversation, but I feel like we need to talk a bit more about transition because uh, just to timestamp this, we're, ha we're having this chat in um, September, 2020, and it feels like 2020 has been a long decade, you know, <laughs> I, I'm really interested in how you've experienced this year, particularly in America yeah. uh, with the associated other things that you've got going on in your 
in your system, in your cultural and political system. Looking at that from the point of view of transition, yeah. uh, personal, societal, cultural, it's been an enormous whirlwind. Absolutely. And I, I was also really interested to see on your website, you talk about liminal time, which I, I really, I, I just feel like there's, there's a link there somewhere. I don't, I'm not yeah. sure what this is, but I wonder what your thoughts are about where you are right now, both as personally, culturally and personally within that. Well, um, to give a little context, my year 2020, for most people, you know, the, the excuse me, shit show started in March. Yeah. But uh, for me, it actually started in January. I, um, I got very sick for three weeks. So I, I might have had COVID. I don't know, because I live in the town right next door to the first place that it hit in the U.S. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. Like, okay truly next door. <laughs> so I, I was very sick and it was very different than anything I'd ever experienced. Um, wow. And this was related very much, I believe, to the fact that one of my best friends um, was dying of cancer and I knew that it was, you know, happening anytime. And so at that, at the end, as I was trying to heal as quickly as possible, it was so I could get to her deathbed. And it was her call as to when it didn't matter anymore if I infected her or not, you know. So I was with her for the last week of her life. That was the end of January. Mm -hmm. And then 10 days later, my youngest daughter uh, had her first baby, which joyous occasion um, but she ended up being in the hospital for three weeks with a severe abdominal um, infection she had 13 abscesses in her abdominal cavity and wow and it was it was horrific and she had to have a six and a half hour surgery and was trying I mean she it was it was really hard and then came out of that and a week later quarantining started oh my god okay and i was <laughs> i was i was supposed to be going to hawaii with a friend of mine because i knew that my friend other friend was going to pass away and that anna was going to have her baby and i thought okay i'll be ready for some time to spend on my own processing what all has happened not knowing mm -hmm. that my daughter was going to be in the hospital for three weeks and, um, and then quarantining started and I'm like, I don't think I can go there, <laughs> you know? So I didn't go, but actually the start of quarantine for me was, it was perfect because I was so ready to just have time to sit and to, to grieve and to just kind of go, what the heck just happened, you right. know? <laughs> so that was, that was kind of the beginning for all of this. And I had also um, cut back on my client work, knowing what was coming during that period of time. So uh, my business was really very low at that point. And I'm like, I guess I better start working again, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> trying, trying to rebuild my business when everyone's figuring out Zoom. So, you know, I think that part has been really interesting because it was almost like I took this big step back and I was way more in I, you know, than I was in my business persona and just going, okay. wow, this is amazing. The creativity and the drive that people are exhibiting here. And yet, watching the sub-personalities come out and these messages and you should, and there's so much opportunity and you should be doing this and you should be doing that. And I'm just sitting there going, wow, these sub-personalities are certainly being triggered right now. <laughs> you know? yeah. And so it was kind of an interesting place to be, to watch that. Um, but then as time has gone on and you know, it's been a bigger arc. I have really started to dial into um, to the transition that is happening, but it, the arc of it just keeps getting bigger and bigger, right? It's like, are we ever going to turn? Because I view transition as a spiral, you know, we kind of go okay. around and then keep going around and we're like, okay, are we ever going to come around? Nope. Nope. It's going to be a bigger <laughs> arc. <laughs> no, it's going to get bigger. You know? right. 
Um, but um, I think there have been some really fabulous things that happened as a result of quarantining and slowing down and people having more time with family and with it and just this this understanding of how important our key relationships are and how they need to be nurtured which means that we need to make sure to reach out instead of just lucking into seeing people right it's like right. You know, yes. it's intentional yeah. so you know i think there's been a lot of good things that have come out of that um, but obviously it has triggered so much in our communal subpersonalities you know oh. and and um you know the the idea of we're independent and you can't tell me what to do and you know for so long that was in many ways something that was great in our country because it it was the source of entrepreneurship and building and creating and we just saw you know the dark side of that um that mm -hmm. it means that we don't have the ability to think about the greater good and so you know i think that um this process for many of us has been a huge lesson in humility um about the dark side of of our country and that we have seen that in race relations in such a huge way um, that you know we tell ourselves we're the land of the free but really that only you know that only applies to some people not to all people and so there's this huge you know huge arc <laughs> that's now going on and then you know, the fire is coming. So we see again, the dark underbelly of our uh, corporate greed and what that's doing to our environment. So, you know, on the one hand, I, I see this um, when I can take the step back into I and, you know, connect to self at a, at a much bigger picture, you know, that this is part of, of the pendulums swinging back and forth. And on the other hand, it is so hard to be at the effect of it and to see it and to see the hurt and the harm that is happening. And, and so I think that it, um, it calls each of us to, um, to take that step back and to, to question, you know, what are the lessons for me in this? How have I contributed? how can I contribute in the future? You know, where is the shame and the anger and the fear that I have? And how is that impacting myself and others? And how can I be a force for healing and good? Mm. So there's, there's a lot of invitation too. Yeah, there's a lot of invitation and a lot of mess. Yeah. Isn't there? Yeah. Which I, I guess is that's transition all over. It that is, yeah. Of one thing or not being able to let go of one thing. Right. But at the same this, time. I have this yeah. drawing in one of the videos I have on my um, on my YouTube channel. There's a drawing and it's like, you know, we, we talk about grief. We talk about transition like it's like this stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four. Yeah. But this is what it looks like. Yeah. Really, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, the reason that working with a coach can be helpful is that, you know, maybe it's just like this, you know, moving along instead of, you know, and still at the same place. It's like you mm. are actually moving through it um, mm. other rather than being stuck in that in that second stage of avoiding feeling. Avoiding feeling. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Grief, loss. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I certainly see um, some of that. Uh, that attachment to individuality seems to be about avoiding feeling. Yeah. Uh, here yeah. as well. You know, I'm in Australia yes. as well. We're seeing a little yeah. bit of that. Yeah. We can talk about the role of social media and that as well. But there's, because we seem to be getting a bit of copycat behavior. But um there don't seems to be uh, <laughs> don't copy that <laughs> yeah we're, we're shouting into the void at the moment i can tell you yeah um but 
there seems to be a lot of um, that seems to be one of the ways where uh, we we kind of hold this um, well separation. You were talking about everything being interconnected, and the way that we kind of avoid that is by that yeah. that separation of that we are. I am I am me and you are you and we're kind mm-hmm. of this separate thing, which means that I don't really have to feel anything about you necessarily. Yeah. Unless it affects can, me directly. You know, thoughts and prayers. Right. Right, exactly. Thoughts and prayers. <laughs> yeah. There. There. Yeah. Done now. Uh, yeah. 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 And so this um I was reading some papers over the past few days because I was teaching the psychosynthesis course at Sophia University, and there was a paper that was talking about how one of the gifts the student really saw in psychosynthesis was this ability, and I I very much agree with this, that as we start to understand and have compassion for ourselves through subpersonality work specifically, we then have that to give to others because we are able then to say, yeah, they probably had something happen in their childhood that caused this subpersonality to split off and it's trying to protect them and keep them safe. And I have compassion for that because I know what that's like. Right, right. Yeah. A huge gift of psychosynthesis. Let's talk a bit about that then. Let's talk a bit about what, can you talk to us about what subpersonalities actually are? The, the nuts and bolts of subpersonalities for people. This is again for people who are, who have lobbed into this and who are not maybe coaches, but are thinking about what psychosynthesis is and sort of the way into subpersonalities. Yeah. So I think for the person who's first hearing about it, a good way to think about it is to first to think about all the roles that you have in your life. So you have the role of, if you have a significant other, how you are in relationship with them, how you act with them, how you talk with them. Mm. And then you have your role from where you work. And you don't act the same way when you're at work. You're not calling your boss, hey, honey, how you doing? Or, you know, or, or the same way as when you're talking to your kids. You talk differently, you think differently, you act differently. And each of those is a subpersonality that has developed for a good purpose. And that good purpose is to allow you to function in the world in a particular way. And so we all have subpersonalities and we all have a lot of subpersonalities. In fact, one of the favorite exercises that I use and many psychosynthesis um, practitioners use is called who's on your bus and you draw a bus <laughs> and then you start drawing all the people on the bus and mm-hmm. putting the names of all the different subpersonalities that are on there. So your subpersonalities are all formed for good purpose. And that good purpose is to allow you to function in some way. And they're great until they're not. And Mm. that not is when they, in some way, shape, or form, don't allow you to move towards a goal. So they get Uh. in the way because they're trying to keep you safe. And an example of that is a subpersonality that formed when you were a child um, because you had an older brother who was not, you know, always kind and loving. And so you developed a subpersonality to deal with him, right? And, mm. and that's okay. That's great because you were able to use that when you dealt with him. But then as a grown up, you start working for this guy that reminds you of your older brother. And all of a sudden you're reacting like that little sister did. And right. that's, not appropriate usually it limits you from reaching your goal of being able to work with your boss in a positive way Mm. and so what often happens when people come to coaching is that they have a goal that they haven't been able to meet and Mm. often it's because there are sub personalities that are seeing something that they're afraid of for some reason some unknown reason 
and we identify the subpersonality, we get to know it, and we work with it, and we create an allyship so that rather than it feeling like the enemy, it is working with you. Everybody is rowing in the same way. That's great. I really like that um, that idea of the subpersonality being great until it gets in the way of your goal. Yeah. And that actually helps to segue into volleyball. <laughs> <laughs> I got to take my sweater off here. This is, <laughs> yeah. this is we're playing volleyball now. <laughs> yeah. Well, because we, I, we, um, last time we talked, you were, you were talking about the, the role that you had many years of being a volleyball coach for teenage girls. Yes. Yeah. And I wonder if you could recap what you were talking about, about the roles that the teen, teenage girls and subpersonalities and how you work with that <laughs> as a coach. Well, uh, I have I have three adult daughters now, but when they were in teenage years, they all played club volleyball. I coached club volleyball. I also ran the club that um, that we had eight to ten teams playing at a time, and um, I coached thirteen and fourteen year old girls, which is an age that most coaches, most sane adults are going to run from. <laughs> 13 and 14 year old girls are, they're a force on their own. <laughs> but I really, really enjoyed coaching them um, because it was so interesting to watch them trying on these different subpersonalities. I mean, they're mm. trying to figure out who they are. They're trying to create their ideal model of who they are. And they do that. It's like their first one, really, right? This is as their, their mind is working up or waking up in adolescence. So they're really creating their first one. And so mm. they try on different ones. And so, you know, one week I've got the goth kid showing up and the next week she shows up and she's, you know, the TV bopper. And then the next week she shows up and, you know, she's the cheerleader. And then she shows up and she's in student government. And, you know, ah. they just keep trying on these different ones. And then I watched them as they continued on into upper levels. And that, you know, that, that trying on process kind of gets narrower and narrower as they really do kind of settle into their ideal model for high school, which then again, right. when they go to college, they have a chance to say, yeah, I didn't really like that. I'm going to throw that one out or I'm going to add to or take away from that again. Oh, that's interesting. Yes. I, I like, so yes, finding the identifying for now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really interesting, uh, that's a really interesting identification. And, and I, I mean, I felt so um, really almost honored to be in that position because they accepted me as, you know, as part of the group, kind of, you know, enough that they would trust for me to, to see what's happening and, and to identify it for them, you know, like, oh, trying something new this time, you know, um, okay. and I think that that is really where I started to understand a key concept that I brought then into coaching, was, which was that radical acceptance of where they were, you know, where you are. And that was even before transpersonal psychology. Mm. I, had to, I had understood from there that all they really wanted was to be unconditionally loved and that that was the biggest thing that I could give them as their coach. I mean, teaching them volleyball, of course, that was important, but, but unconditional love was way more important because, you know, they would play really hard for somebody that unconditionally loved them. For sure. And it also plays into what we were talking about before, about accepting and working with the person who's in front of you. Yes. No yeah. matter which of those people that person <laughs> brought that day. Which, which one shows up, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah 
So, so I wonder then, does that, I, I, that brings up another question for me because presumably, you know, do we, different subpersonalities have different conditionings and we, we kind of try out different beliefs about how we feel about ourselves and about other people and all of the rest of that. Mm-hmm. And you work with whoever shows up individually and as the group. And I wonder how that, what kind of conversation you have to have with yourself and with them about when to, when to push a little further with questions or with drills or with whatever, and when you think mm, maybe I need to let go a little bit here. Yeah. Both yeah. get the feedback <laughs> from them and the feedback you give to yourself. Because one yeah. of the things that I think is really <laughs> important is the conversation the coach has with themselves, both yeah. sports, outside coaching, coaching that we're talking about here. Yeah, and, and I had an assistant coach, which was so great because we're just sitting there going. Okay. <laughs> but as the head coach, I mean, it's always up to you to make the decision, right? Yeah. And so there, you know, I, you're probably kind of referring to the practice, the come, come to Jesus practice. As I was going to get there, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, this is really similar to what happens in coaching. It's so much mm. the same. So when we, when we would start a, a new season, we would have the tryout um, process where the girls would come in and the coaches are watching and we run them through all of these drills and and then um, we, it's a, it is a painful process because on the one hand, the coaches are trying to put together the best team with the right players in the right positions. And the girls are all wanting to play with their friends. And, and the parents are all wanting them to have the best chance they possibly can have to get the golden egg of the college scholarship. So we have you know, diverse mm-hmm. aims there. But you end up with a team and, you know, you come into the first practice and everyone's like, this is going to be the best team ever. We're, you know, we've got this person and this person and everyone is nice and it's so much fun. And then um, a couple of um, practices later, you have the first tournament and things start to break apart a little bit there because not everybody gets equal playing time and not everybody is really that great when you're with them two practices a week for three hours each and then two tournaments a month and the the drills are kind of getting old and so they start to show up at practice not really ready to play and Mm -hmm. it's definitely a testing kind of thing and so the question is am i going to stand firm and and say this is the goal for this drill and we don't get out of this drill until you meet the goal or Mm -hmm. am i just going to say oh you've done your best and let them go on to the next one right and it's really this like you were saying you know the thought process of can they meet this goal did i set the right goal and do i need to hold them accountable to it or did I set the wrong goal? Um, and mm. it's, it's, just, it's just this practice. So there was one team in particular who was the most talented team that I ever played with or ever coached. And they got to this practice and they came in and there was a drill that we always did at the beginning of every practice. And they had to keep the ball in play, just forearm pass two times on one side, two times on the other, and they just kept waving through. And they had to Mm -hmm. keep it in practice for two minutes. And they usually could do that on one or two tries. And in this particular practice, we did that drill for the whole practice. And then we started the next practice with it. And they got it on the second try in the (laughs) next practice. And it it was so hard because I so wanted to just let them out of it. Yeah. I knew that they could do it and Mm. it really was convincing them that they were as good as they were. Okay. And so, you know, the parallel to life coaching is so, is so clear, you know, that our, our job is if you have set yourself a goal and you don't do it, you know, that, our job is to say, but 
but you can do that. You know, what, what is getting in the way of that? Cause I know you can do it. You know, you can do it. What's getting in the way of that mm. and, and holding them accountable for it. And if they change their mind, then it's because they've changed their mind, not because right. they're, you know, going to fail and let a subpersonality convince them they can't do it. Uh, that's a really important distinction because sometimes it, how do you know sometimes whether you've changed your mind or whether there's been, there's been a bit of chat. Because we talk with the subpersonalities. Sure. Right. We, I mean, we just have a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so does Mikey want to talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it's, it's, it, they, the truth does come out then when you're an I mm. and you're talking to the subpersonality. And for those who are not as, familiar with subpersonality work you know we're we're talking about coming into your center this place mm. that we all really know about you know where we don't have all of the voices that are talking as much it's this place of of silence and centering and knowing and so we come from this place to talk to the subpersonality and the subpersonality is the place that gets triggered and is mm. usually a, a voice other than your own, mm -hmm. other than the voice of you. Mm. And that brings up one thing that brings up presence for me quite a lot, the importance of presence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's something that I, I wrote down from the chapter that you wrote in the book, The Call of Self, which for people who are, just keying in on this. Here it is. Clunk. Live television, everyone. Look at the call of self, uh, which is a, a collection of chapters by a number of different um, psychosynthesis coaches, uh, written, uh, edited by Didi Furman. And your chapter in this is called the the bump set spike of being a psychosynthesis coach: lessons from the sports coach to the life coach. Just in case people are interested to check that out. One of my favorite quotes from you, of yours in that, that chapter is truth without love is brutality and love without truth is hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. And that seems to, as kind of a roundup to all of what we've been talking about, seems yeah. to really play in. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what that quote means to you. Um, you know, it was one of those quotes when, when I heard it, it was like, Okay, this is exactly what I've been trying to say and what, you know, one of the most core beliefs that I have. Mm. Um, and I've never had the words for it. And, okay. and this put it into words. It's like, right. yes, that's it. And, you know, if, if we look at the news, if we look at so much of what happens right now, it's like, if we could all just follow, mm -hmm. this is like a little golden rule, you know, <laughs> if yeah, we could yeah. all just, you know, think about this, but again, this is thinking about the other person and how we're connected mm -hmm. and how, what we say lands with them and what is our focus for saying it, you know, is yeah. it just because I'm an individual and I get to say what I want, or is it because I'm truly mm. trying to share something with you and I want to make sure that it can land in a way that you can hear. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think it struck with me probably because of my experience as well, that um, truth not expressed with love can actually land in a way that's damaging Yeah, and can actually be a distortion of that truth. The communication can actually be the opposite of what you intend. And at the same time, not being, not being what you think might come across as harshly honest, which again is probably an attachment or a belief that you've built up about honesty, or is that just me? Uh, about, about <laughs> that we all have. <laughs> yeah. That stops you from being completely honest with somebody out of what you conceive of, of love is equally damaging because yeah. then you don't actually get to the truth. And, and I think that so often um, when people have felt like they have, you know, have not been heard or have not shared their true self, mm. all of a sudden they 
um, in a process of transformation feel like they are speaking their truth. You know, yeah. it's, it is a distortion in the world of spiritual awakening, I believe, that I'm going to speak my truth and no matter what, you know, I have it and I'm going to do it without this thought of, well, how is it landing on the other on the other side to the people who hear it. Yeah. And what that also brings up for me is, um, is as I, I'm a grandparent now, as Dee Dee will say, I have many grandkids. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, being a psychosynthesist and watching young kids, it's like, oh, oh my God, which of these things that we're saying is not landing right I and know. is forming yeah. a subpersonality and causing mm. trauma. And the truth is we don't know, right? No. We, we don't know. Mm. And so the, you know, it has to, what I have landed with is that we have to have good intention and we have to have love and, and do the best that we can, right? Mm. And, it's it's about the intention and doing everything we possibly can with love and apologizing when we don't live up to it and yeah and that, yeah you know and and the rest of it is the human condition at this point for sure and it plays into that interconnectedness doesn't it because we don't we don't know what the, those people were born into the world with Right. Either. Right. And so what we say to the, the one might not be, might not have the same impact or may have a greater impact than what we say to the other in exactly the same way. And we have absolutely yeah. no idea. Yeah. Which is uh, exciting and terrifying. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> because it could be a great thing too. Yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For sure. Um. One last thing, if people are looking to find you on the internet, where should they go and how should they get in touch with you? So my, my website that you mentioned is Karen Randall Coaching, R-A-N-D-A-L-L. And um, I have a website and there is a way to contact me through there. Uh, you can also set up for just an automatic um, free three-minute session where we would just meet and talk about, you know, what you want to talk about. And that could be all, or we could decide to move on from there in coaching. And as I mentioned earlier, I also have a YouTube channel where I've sh shared some information that I've developed about transition. If you want to learn more about that and how you can travel that transition journey and kind of check where you are in that process, um, there's some good information on there about that too. Great. Um, are you doing creative expression work at the moment or is that maybe things that you do with people in the same room, which is a um, at the moment? Yeah. Let me tell you my, my story about that. So I do, this, I do this group called artsy fartsy sip and play um, <laughs> where it, it was, I first named it the creative women's circle and then okay various things happened in our country where there was a huge amount of depression and sadness. And I thought, you know, we just need to lighten things up. And so I changed the name to Artsy Hortsy Sip and Play. And all of a sudden I've got people coming out of the woodwork who want to come <laughs> to this, which is like, great. It was sure. marketing, you know, it was good marketing. Yeah. Um, but, and it was a really fun time where people would come and we, I would always have a project and they could come just to play because I think for women, um, adult women, play is far too scarce. And this was a great opportunity to just come and play. But I also offered a, a deeper level of symbolism of the project that people mm -hmm. could engage in um, and, and just discover for themselves. And so they would come and be all set up. They would do that. I'd have, you know, some little hors d'oeuvres and a bottle of wine and, and then they go and I would be cleaning up for the next few days, you know, trying to get everything back in, in mm -hmm. um, shape again. Well, I did a couple of these online. And what I soon discovered is that the thing people like the most is that they could come and make the mess at my house. <laughs> 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 and then if they had to make that mess at they, their house, it wasn't quite as much fun for them. <laughs> so, so 
I have taken a hiatus on it and um, I am now at a point in our area where at a point that we can do groups of five. So I'm starting right. to do those in, in large areas. Oh, again. okay. Okay. Yeah. Right. So yeah. you're, you're starting to open up to the extent that you can do those. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. That's good to yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, oh. nobody wants a mess at their own house. <laughs> no, that's, that's, I had never thought of that, but as soon as you said that, I was like, oh yeah. 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 <laughs> Having yeah. worked in the creative arts for long enough, I should have probably seen that coming, but there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, the things you learn, right? Yeah. We continue <laughs> to learn. <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. Um, Karen, thank you so much for joining us. That's oh, been it, fantastic. Thank you so it's much. It's been a pleasure. It really has. It's, um, it's fun to talk with other people in the world of psychosynthesis and to share this journey, you know, that we are all on and and to get the different perspectives because it, it very much is a personal journey mm. as it as well as a, a corporate communal journey that we're on together so absolutely you. and hopefully as we as we go on we'll be able to share more and more of the the personal integrations of people in, in psychosynthesis and transpersonal mm -hmm. world and how they're bringing it out into the world at a time that more and more we're seeing needs a fair bit of integration yes so absolutely yeah on that happy note thanks so much thank you so much this podcast is brought to you by synthesis center san francisco in collaboration with the synthesis center amherst massachusetts we offer professional development and personal growth through psychosynthesis. For more information about our board certified coach training program, workshops for personal and professional growth, as well as how to work with one of our psychosynthesis trained coaches, visit us at synthesiscentersf.com. Awaken your purpose, create your life.